Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for joining us on Heritage Events Live. We're delighted to welcome you to How to Better Understand the Chinese Defense Budget. Please welcome our host, Frederico Bartels, Senior Policy Analyst for Defense Budgeting. We hope you enjoy the program. Thank you. Uh, welcome to the Heritage Public Discussion on how to understand the Chinese defense budget. My name is Fred Bartels, and I'm Senior Policy Analyst for Defense Budget here at Heritage Center for National Defense. This morning's discussions will tackle how to calculate and understand the Chinese defense budget. The Chinese Communist Party, as all authoritarian governments, is not known for its transparency and predictable disclosures of reliable, consistent data. When it comes to their defense budget, there are many challenges, some unknown, some known, from determining a complete picture of what is considered military expenditure to converting yuan into dollars to quantifying their military research efforts. With that short teaser, I'll invite my panelists to join me on camera. The first one is Dr. Lucy Baraudson-Dro. She joined CIPRI, the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute in February 2020 as the director of the Military Expenditure and Arms Production Program. Her research interests focus on European and Asian arms trade, military spending, and arms industry. Lucy was previously a research fellow for defense economics and procurement at the International Institute for Strategic Studies, IISS, and an analyst at the French Ministry of Armed Forces. She was involved in the development of the methodology for calculating the Chinese defense budget on both IISS and CIPRI. Next, we have Dr. Peter Robertson. He's a professor of economics and the dean of the business school at the University of Western Australia, as you can see in his background. Uh, Peter's research focuses on the interactions between economic growth, economic development, and international trade, with a focus on the economic miracles in East Asia, China, and India, human capital accumulation, international trade, defense, and immigration. Uh, the main purpose for today's discussion is that Peter has written about how to create a global database that compares real military purchasing power. Uh, thank you both for joining me through the magic of the internet and for enduring the time zone differences. I truly appreciate it. Uh, for this morning's program, I'll pose a few questions to both our panelists, then open up to questions from the audience. So if you have any questions, start typing them up, uh, even if you believe we're going to address it. Uh, starting them, sending them over through the program. And I'll start with a softball to set us up. Uh, and starting with Dr. Bird syndrome, uh, why should we try to get a more complete sense of Chinese military expenditures? Um, hi, Fred, thank you very much for, for the invitation and, and good morning or good afternoon or good evening, everybody. Um, so why, should, why do we need to get a sense of Chinese military expenditure in general? Like why do we need to look at military expenditure of states? Um, so there is a short and simple answer, which is the data on military expenditure can be used to provide an easily identifiable measure of the scale of resources absorbed by the military in a given country. But that said, um, there is of course a longer uh, explanation that we can give about why we need to look at this information. And uh, I think the, the preliminary the thing to say is that military spending does not directly equate to military capabilities. It's usually seen that way, but it's not a direct indicator. Military expenditure is an input measure. Uh, it is the flow of resources devoted to the military over a period of time. 
it's not an output measure uh, and a measure of, of military effectiveness. Um, the forces obtained for, for the expenditure will depend on their price, the wages of troops, the cost of weapons, and, and of course, uh, Peter will talk about this a bit later on. Um, but that said, I think that looking, having that type of data, the, like numbers uh, for military expenditure, is interesting when it's put into context. So you can, with that type of data, you can look at different things. You can look at time series, for instance. Is military expenditure growing or decreasing over time? So if you look at China, um, China's uh, military spending has been increasing for 26 consecutive years, uh, according to CIPRI data. Um, you can also use this as a, a way to look at national priorities. Um, for instance, is the military expenditure level growing faster than the economy in general? What is the share of military expenditure out of the country's total GDP? And this sort of like indicates a country's priority uh, for, for defense or military activities. It shows commitment or intent. So for instance, CIPRI estimates uh, China's military expenditure to be at 1.7% of GDP in 2020. And this compares with 3.7% um, in the United States or 4.3% in Russia. So having those numbers, uh, you don't necessarily need the exact, you know, to the million uh, number, but you know, when you put it in, in that kind of context and you use it for that type of analysis, it, it's, it's interesting. And of course, what's important is also international comparisons. So as I said, metric expenditure is an input measure, not an output measure. So you cannot really directly use it to, to measure military power or compare military power, but still it allows you to like put countries next to one another. So based on, on CIPRI's uh, latest data, um, the US military sp uh, spending is estimated as 778 billion US dollars for 2020, China 252. Those are, those are the two largest. And then you, you immediately go down to the third largest, which is India at 73 billion, roughly Russia around 62, and the UK at around 60 billion. So again, not a direct military power, but still a way to sort of like put countries next to one another. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Robertson, would you want to add anything on why we should care to get a more complete sense on Chinese military expenditures? Thank you, Fred. And um, yeah, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. And um, yeah, good evening and good morning and good afternoon to everybody um, from Perth in uh, Western Australia. So, um, yeah, I think those are very good um, points. So, um, China in particular, you know, it's the second largest economy or perhaps even the largest economy in the world, depending on how you measure it exactly. And there's a lot going on. There's a lot of um, inherent instability. Um, it's, it's a growing economy. It's got a lot of challenges. It's facing uh, growing inequality. And as Leslie said, military spending is kind of a measure of intent. And, and, and resources it's putting towards strategic ends. And, and those strategic ends can have effects on other countries. So it's important to, to monitor all that and understand what it's trying to do. Um, although the Chinese spending has been growing rapidly um, over many years, as Lisa said, the fraction of GDP it puts into its defense sector is still quite small. So you get the two different images of, of uh, China and, uh, through the, looking at these numbers. And they told different stories, but complementary stories. Um, so all those kind of things, China, it's um, it's it's a growing power, as, as political scientists like to say. It's um, fixated on things like Taiwan and its borders, 
It's got problems with access to oil from needs to have secure routes through um, the South China Sea to the Middle East and to Africa to secure um, oil and other mineral supplies. And all these things uh, inform its defense policy. So we're trying to unpack some of those things. Um, but also it's about perceptions as well. So I just want to bring back to about 2016 when President Obama said that um, in his uh, speech that USA spends more than the next eight countries combined. Um, and the latest SIPRI data show that USA spends more than the next 11 countries combined. Um, so those kind of claims are designed obviously to boost public confidence, to boost uh, confidence in USA's defense spending plans um, and, and so forth, and perhaps justify smaller defense budgets going, uh, going forward. But question is, is that right? What if it wasn't true? And how would that change your perceptions about the state of uh, defense spending in USA vis-a-vis -vis China? And so um, it's really important to interrogate those numbers and, and see what they really tell us. Um, is USA really bigger than the next 11 countries combined in terms of uh, real defense spending? Perfect. Thank you. Uh, and on that, we'll go back to, to Lucy. You were involved in updating the methodology of two institutions, your previous employer and your current employer, the Valida Balas and Cipri, on how they estimate the Chinese defense budget. Can you describe and talk a little bit about the challenges yeah. that were shared between those efforts and, and what were the roadblocks and, and so forth? Yes, um, that, that's correct. I when I was working at WWS, I co-authored a paper with um, my then colleague Mayan Nawance on, on updating uh, the methodology of that institutes for um, Chinese defense spending. And then here at CIPRI, I supported my colleagues in, in that effort as well. Um, but just to be clear, I now speak for CIPRI and not for WWS. But in, in those like research efforts, um, I would say the main challenge for us and the, the key objectives that we had was trying to understand what does the official Chinese number, uh, Chinese defense budget, what does it in include? Because um, there is actually like limited publicly available uh, information to work with, as you've mentioned in your uh, introductory uh, remarks. Um, so every year, the Chinese government releases just a headline figure for their annual uh, budget plan and also for the past year's actual spending. So for the, their 2021 uh, data release, um, the, the official number uh, roughly like, converts to two. 112 billion US dollars, um, but we don't know and they don't give more information about what is the breakdown of the number, how, like, what is the money spent on. The last time that the Chinese government released uh, information on, on such details was uh, in their 2019 defense white paper, uh, with the most recent information being for 2017. And at that time, what this told us was that 31% of the official budget was spent on personnel, 21, 21%, uh, 28% sorry, on training and sustainment, and 41% on equipment expenses. That latter category officially includes R&D spending, um, testing, procurement repairs, maintenance, transport, and the storage of weaponry. Um, so this is, this is what we have to start with as a sort of like baseline. This is the information that, that the Chinese government uh, provides. And of course, such a breakdown is, is fairly limited and very far from the level of transparency that you can get from like more, let's say, more open or more democratic countries, and even from some not so democratic countries. Uh, so it's actually like quite, uh, quite limited. And for, for institutes like WIWS or CIPRI, who provide 
global like data for, for many countries, like covering like between 150 and 170 countries. What is important is to make sure that we are comparing the same thing that what we say is one country's military spending is the same for another. So the, the researchers working in those institutions apply standardized definitions. And we try to make sure that the data that we, we collect do match those definitions. Um, and so the question is with, with China, um, the, China has a history, uh, I think it's, it's less true today, but history was rather known for statistical manipulation. Um, so for a long time, the question was like, how reliable are those official uh, numbers? Can we trust them? Can we trust that the definitions provided do like truly encompass all that they say uh, they do? So that's why it requires extra research and extra effort. Um, so both Cipri and Davos, Davos have their own uh, definitions of what they consider to be military spending. I, I won't go in like all the, the details because <laughs> it can be fairly uh, technical and I can, uh, I mean, those are available on those institutes websites. So if you're interested, please do go, go and consult the, the methodology, methodology sections of the websites. So just briefly, the Cipri has developed its own definition which uh, captures four categories broadly. Uh, first, um, CIPRI tries to get data on all current and capital expenditure on the armed forces, including peacekeeping forces. Defense ministries and other government agencies engaged in defense projects. Paramilitary forces, when judged to be trained and equipped for military operations and military space activities. So in practice, it's not always possible to apply this definition to all countries. Um, and sometimes we just have to rely on the national data that is provided. But for China, we do try to, to find out where like the budgets for all those different categories. Um, uh, a simple example would be like for the People's Armed Police that we consider to be a paramilitary forces and therefore it falls under our definition. Um, so on top of the official Chinese defense budget, we try to get the budget for the People's Armed Police and we include this in our estimate. Um, so particularly challenging uh, categories uh, when we did the, the methodology updates were, um, for instance, does the procurement budget, does it include arms imports or not? For a very long time, it was considered that um, this was not part of the official budget. So we were trying to make estimates for how much spent, uh, China spent on arms imports or the, the R&D spending, for instance. And I think we'll, we'll get back to that later in, in that discussion. Um, but one point I, I would like to stress is that in, in doing this work, um, we realized that if you know, given enough time and resources, uh, you can actually find information uh, mostly in, like, in Chinese language uh, sources. Um, so you, there, there is information out there. Uh, if you have you know, enough time uh, to look at it and go through like Chinese language uh, material, it's possible to refine and, and have a better uh, understanding of, of Chinese military spending. Thank you. Uh, now to Dr. Robertson. Uh, Peter, you developed a different index of, of purchasing power parity to better reflect uh, military expenditures. Can you discuss a little bit of the shortcomings of traditional purchasing power parity when applied to military expenditures and what prompted you to chase down that, that trail? Yeah, thanks, Fred. So, um, yeah, the research I've been doing is uh, firstly builds on top of all the great work that CIPRI's been doing. So it's not instead of it's I, I, I couldn't do a thing without the sort of uh, CIPRI numbers to start with. So thank you, Lucy, um, and all your team there. And the question I'm looking at is um, so we Lucy does all the detective work, looking um, to work out what's in the budget and you know all those transparency energy. So and you finally you get a, a number. 
uh, measured in yuan or RMB, renminbi, the total spending for China, right? your best estimate of that. The problem is when you want to compare that with the USA or Australia or, or any other country. So when you're doing these cross-country comparisons, you've got to take the spending in renminbi and convert that to US dollars. So that seems like a very trivial thing to do, but it actually is a source of, source of, of huge error or huge, huge um, misunderstanding um, sometimes. So let me just explain why that is. So this is something that's well known in economics. When economists compare GDP across countries uh, for things like living standards or just how big is the, the, the economy of another country, they use purchasing power parity exchange rates. Um, now what these do, they look at the, say you want to look at um, um, GDP in China or another country, um, we've got to look at, um, take a given amount of, of um, renminbi in that country, what does it actually buy? And then ask the question, well in USA, how much could I buy, um, what would it cost me to buy in US dollars with the same amount? Um, so the traveller, you know, when you're on holidays, you might notice if you took $100 uh, from the US and you exchange it at the airport, you make it something like 700 renminbi, you find that you'd be able to buy um, a lot more goods um, with the 700 renminbi in China than you could have when you're in the USA with $100. So the, the, dollar, the your dollar goes a lot further in China. And this is because a lot of the goods in China are a lot cheaper. In particular, labor's cheaper, and anything that uses labor intensively to be produced, like street food or haircuts or any sort of labor services, are going to be a lot cheaper in China, as well as Mexico, as well as uh, many other countries where wages are lower than the USA. Now, that same logic means that um, for China, if they're trying to construct an army, it's a lot cheaper for them to construct um, an army um, than it would be in the USA because wages are lower. So, when you take a certain amount of uh, renminbi uh, that's being spent in China and say, well, what is that uh, equivalent to in US dollars? You've got to allow for the fact that in China, you're getting a lot more labor uh, for a given um, yuan than you, than you do when you convert that to dollars and try and buy it in, in, um, in the United States. So um, the fact that labor is cheaper means that when you compare across countries, you've really got to make these adjustments for the prices of the different prices of things, and particularly the lower cost of labor in China. So um, this means that China's GDP, for example, is about 40% bigger than what you would get if you just used to sort of um, take China's GDP measured in RMB and converted it at market exchange rates to US dollars. That, that figure understates China's GDP by about 40% because there's so much more going on in China um, with low-cost labor. So um, now, conceptually, that's the right way to compare things like standards of living and GDP because um, you've got to adjust for the prices that people actually face within countries. And the same, same sort of argument could be applied to military spending. Um, China can mount a large standing army at much lower cost um, than the US could. Um, you know, because labor is cheaper. So, um, just for example, US budgets are about $780 billion, um, and China's military budget estimated by SIPRI. Um, when you convert it at, if I take that number of when you convert it at market exchange rates, you get a number of about $240 billion. 
But if you used a, a PPP type concept, you would get a budget which is um, about half the, that's about one third the size of the US, okay? If you used a PPP exchange rate, you get a budget which is more like half the size of the USA's um, military budget. So these kind of adjustments make a big difference just by taking into account the fact that your dollar goes further in China than it does in the United States. So that's PPP, and that's what economists do all the time, every day. They make these comparisons and look at prices across countries, cost across countries, and compare uh, what you need, how much money you need in one country to buy the same basket of goods as you do in another country. Um, now, why not then use these exchange rates to estimate the size of China's military? Um, and the obvious answer is, well, the military is not a grocery basket. That you, you're actually looking at a specific set of goods. Um, you're looking at tanks and planes, you're looking at hangars and runways, you're looking at um, you know, um, personnel and training and things like this. So it's a very specific set of goods. And when we develop PPP exchange rates for comparing across countries for looking at standards of living or GDP, they're just an average price across the whole economy. And there's no reason to think that the, the prices faced by the military would be the same as the average price. The average price faced by the military um, includes hiring lots of labor for the army, but also includes things like aircraft carriers and fighter jets and, and things like this. So there's no reason why they should be the same. So um, in particular, you know, a lot of military procurement, the fact that labor costs are low in China doesn't have any impact at all. I mean, it's just, you might just import, um, you know, fighter jets from Russia for example, and the fact that you've got low cost labor in China doesn't affect that price in your military. So, the, so that has to be taken into account when you're looking at um, military um, costs as well. So um, for that reason, CIPRI don't use uh, purchasing power parity exchange rates when they compare, and quite rightly don't use sort of the standard GDP purchasing power parity exchange rates when they compare across countries, um, because it's not clear it makes the right adjustment for all these types of hardware imports and things that are not affected by its low cost of labor. So where we've got to with this in, in the current state of affairs is you've got two bad measures. You could use market exchange rates, which we know are not the right exchange rate because they don't take account of labor costs. Or you could use a standard purchasing power parity exchange rate, uh, but it's also the wrong uh, measure because it doesn't take account of all the uh, military hardware and things which has nothing to do with low labor costs. So you've got a choice between two bad measures. So I was going to then just say, well, how does my method um, overcome these shortcomings? So um, the right thing to do would be to have a military purchasing power parity index. That is something that looks at the relative cost of the military in China and the relative cost of, of military in, say, USA. And you've got that relative cost to relative price ratio that is your military PPP index. So um, the obvious question to ask is why was why has no one done that uh, before? And um, well, it's not easy to do. Um, is the answer? Um, there's three reasons. One is that it's not like McDonald's. You can't. It's not like Big Mac. You can't just observe a quantity of Big Macs. You can observe a quantity of Big Macs. You can't observe the quantity of defense services. Right? And you can't observe the price of defense services. So with a, a, a cheeseburger, you can look at the price of a cheeseburger in one country. You can look at the price of exactly the same cheeseburger in another country and say, yeah, there's a, there's a sort of like, something like a PPP, purchasing power parity index, 
I can compare the prices of Big Macs. And if I took my $10 in the USA, went to China, I could actually, and converted it at the, at the airport, converted my $10 at the airport, I could buy three Big Macs in China. So that's the nature of the price differences in China. Um, but with defense, we don't know what that number is because we can't observe the output, we can't observe the prices. And we can observe input prices and work out what costs are, but uh, these are, um, you know, kept secret and China hasn't you know, shown a great willingness to share um, these input prices. So in principle, you could observe them, but um, the data is not really available, not really made available. It's at the very, very uh, broad um, header level that Lucy was mentioning before. So um, that's basically the, um, the, the idea is to, be, to create an index that recognizes the actual price differences in, of military services in the USA and in, in China, and one that takes into account the fact that labor is cheap, and that will affect the things in, in the military that are affected by cheap labor, like just having uh, personnel, army personnel, but also the fact that some military uh, spending is on equipment that is imported or that is not affected by the costs. And you need to sort of weight those things up to get the right, um, the right balance of those um, items in the budget. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to pull back to a thread that Lucy mentioned uh, about the Chinese military or, or, or the TNE, because that, that tends to be the, the one question that I think it's the bigger tripwire possible, because you have that context of civil military fusion in, in China, and they don't disclose any detailed R&D uh, expenditure allocation. Uh, so, how do you guys think about uh, quantifying Chinese military or RDTE, and how? What are possible solutions that you've, you've worked through? It? Yes, thank you. That's it goes a bit different than that, that detective work that <laughs> Peter mentioned. It, it really, it really uh, feels like this sometimes. Um, so, I think this is this really important question, and it's one of the the difficult um, parts of of assessing military expenditure for China. So I think that the question, the way um, you know, we phrase it is like whether you know, the costs of, of, you know, in the broader context of civil military fusion in China, should the costs of private-public uh, cooperation in, in R&D should, uh, should be added as an extra spending line uh, for Chinese uh, military expenditure? Um, but the, the broad lines of uh, what is private and what is public in China, uh, and plus the, the dual use aspect of those, you know, emerging tech and uh, emerging military technology, makes this um, uh, trying to find a figure for this very difficult. Um, but of course, given the importance of civil military fusion uh, in the Chinese context at the moment, um, it's we we have to try. <laughs> so um, the. From if you, you look at this from a public spending perspective, um, so of course you can take into account you know, how much companies spend in terms of like R and D and how like whether those companies are present in the military sector or not. But here we're talking about um, about public spending, right? What does the government spend? So what we want to know is how much the central government spends in terms of subsidizing military R and D research. So when you look at the available figures, there is in the official um, Chinese budget, there is a line for science and technology uh, spending. Um, the, the latest uh, available um, government publication says uh, it's roughly like 50 billion US dollars um, in, in market exchange rates. Um, so how much of this 
50 billion goes to funding military uh, R&D. So both WWF and CIPRI relies on a, a very, uh, in our field, quite important uh, academic article, uh, which was published in 2014 um, by uh, two researchers called Sun Yutao and Cao Tsong. Um, and the title of that article is called Demystifying Central Government R&D Spending in China. It was published in the journal uh, Science. What, what they, they, they apply so like what we would call a black hole method. Um, based on that overall like official S&T spending, so science and, te and technology spending, um, you compare this with other available information um, on the proportion of, of S&T allocated to civilian agencies that disclose uh, spending in their annual reports. And there is a discrepancy between those two numbers. And so we assume is that the difference is the non-disclosed part is uh, related to the to military and security. And that's how we we can sort of like make an estimate uh, of that of that R and D spending. Um, so obviously it's an approximation, um, but um, my colleagues who published the latest CIPRI report on Chinese military expenditure tried other ways, trying to look at, at it by agency by agency. But the, there's such inconsistency in reporting that it was really difficult to, um, to sort of like get a reliable number from that. So we, we remain with this methodology, which is, um, I'd say, still like based on sort of like general assumption that the non-disclosed part will be all related to the military or most of it related to military. But that's what we've got at the moment. So, uh, so yeah, more research <laughs> needed for that. Thank you. Uh, Peter, go, going back to, you explained a little bit about how you developed a, a new way of calculating PPP for the, the defense sector, um, but you actually did it. What insights did you derive from it? What are the, the, the main sectors that the, the main factors that the audience should know both about how you got there and what are the numbers when you got there? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so look, yes, yeah, so remember the, the aim here is just try and say we look at all the spending that, that take the the value of spending that's going on in China's military budget um, and say, what would that cost if we try to do that in the USA? So you try to produce a similar level of theoretical defense services in the USA at USA prices, how much would that cost? And so that's the number that you want to get to say, well, what's the equivalent spending in China? Uh, uh, what's the equivalent budget um, for China in US dollars? And that's the way you can compare the um, the size of China's budget to the size of the USA's budget. Um, and so the really critical thing is to break out those personnel costs because the personnel costs are affected by the fact that labor is cheaper in, in China, while those operational costs are also um, affected by it. And, and then split out the, the um, expenditure on um, equipment, which is going to be less affected by, by um, low labor costs that can be imported. Um, even if it can't be imported, you've sort of got the choice of importing, which affects your cost basis as well. So those tradable type goods um, are quite different. You look at the relative prices of all those and then bundle them up, uh, a weighted average of, of, of prices according to the effect of those components in the budget. So if, if the military budget is 90% on personnel, then you sort of give a low, very large weight of, of 90% or, or close to 90%. Uh, to that component, and then you see what the overall costs look like. Um, so what we find when we do that, looking at taking into account both the costs of the low cost of labour, but also the um, the 
probably um, less uh, uh, low costs of um, equipment and, and uh, modern fighter planes and aircraft carriers and things like that. So what you find um, now uh, is the following. Um, the big question is, um, remember we have two bad measures. We have a market exchange rate measure, trying to look at China's uh, military spending compared to the US at market exchange rates. And it said that was the right wrong measure to use. It doesn't take account of low cost of labor. And then we had a purchasing power parity measure designed by economists, but that's wrong because it's designed to look at baskets of consumer goods generally, or an average price across the whole economy. It doesn't look at military prices specifically. If you convert China's military spending um, at market exchange rates to US dollars, it comes out to be about 30% um, of USA military spending. Right? If you convert it at um, purchasing power parity prices, then or purchasing power parity exchange rates, taking into account the low cost of labor, it comes out to about 50% um, uh, of, um, or 45 to 50% of um, US military spending. Um, but if you use um, the military PPP index, it comes out to about 66 to 78% of um, US military spending. That was um, in the last few years. So quite a large difference. Um, and it does change that perception quite a lot about um, you know, how large US spending is compared to other countries in, in real terms. So the lessons are that if you're going to use either a market exchange rate or a PPP exchange rate, actually the PPP one is, is closer to the truth. Right? It's not right, but it's, it's, it's a better measure than just using market exchange rates because it does take into account somewhat the low cost of labor. Um, and if anything, these PPP exchange rates actually understate China's military spending. It's not just China, it's, it's, a, it's Russia as well, it's India, um, a lot of Latin American middle-income countries, uh, Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, Ukraine, Turkey, uh, their military budgets are all much larger, much, much larger than what they look when we just use um, um, market exchange rates. And so the consequence of that is, um, as I said at the start, the US's uh, military spending is not um, larger than the next 11 countries. Um, in fact, it's about the same as um, China and Russia combined in real terms. Um, so that gives quite a different perception on the state of what's going on uh, in the US and the sort of um, its, its ability to um, its ability to try and get engaged in different operations around the world, um, given its capacity. Thank you. And before I open up for questions from the audience, I, I want to ask one question to the both of you that I, I'm personally very curious. Uh, is there any specific piece of information that you currently do not have that would impact, sorry, what is the most impactful piece of information that if you could get your hands on it would have the most impact on how you estimate the Chinese defense budget? We'll start with Lucy since it was just talking. Hi, thank you. Um, actually, I'll just cheat and just answer two things <laughs> to that question, not just one. Um, the first thing is um, in, in China's official uh, budget documents, there is um, there's one category which is called other other expenditure, and uh, we don't know what what is inside that other uh, category, 
And as I explained for the, the R&D spending method, and we also apply this when estimating Chinese arms companies' uh, revenue, usually that and when there's an other category, it tends to relate to military or security issues. So the suspicion that that extra other category would be related to defense, but we don't know how, so we can't really take it into account for now. So more research on this would be interesting. And the other thing um, which, which I regretted is that uh, when CIPRI undertook its uh, methodology update, the initial project intended for the researcher, the research team to actually go to China, travel to China, and access some um, some you know Chinese libraries. Hopefully, talk to you know Chinese uh, experts as well. Um, but this happened that uh, this coincided with COVID, and the, so the trip was not possible. So I still believe that you know if you talk to the right people or access the right you know source of information uh, from like direct you know Chinese sources, you can improve um, the knowledge uh, on that uh, on the topic we're discussing today. Um, so I would say that accessing you know talking to to the right people could still um, enable us to have a better understanding of Chinese military spending. Yeah, there's a lot of information that is not written and just live in people's head. Uh, Peter, any piece of data that you, you have been looking for, but you ha have been able to find it would really impact how you think about it? Uh, the, the data I've been using is very aggregate, as, as Lucy mentioned before, that China does publish some um, very high level breakdowns into personnel, operations, equipment type spending. And so getting a more detailed level of each of those subrubrics would really help um, a lot and be able to get a more reliable um, military PPP index. What you need essentially is um, expenditures and uh, quantities of inputs. So total uh, personnel budget then broken down into the different categories of personnel and then the quantities of people in each and then maybe the sort of any indicators of skill levels across those. Then likewise for operations, what does operation consist of? How much of it is training? How much of it's how much is warehouses? How much and, and so forth? And then likewise in equipment. So what are the different types of equipment? How much? What are the quantities of each? What are the categories? Um, so um, I think there is, as Lisa said, there is. If you if you've got time and resources, you can um, break down a lot of that stuff. Um, there's been some some books published that sort of try to break out those things a little bit more than I I have access to. Um, but so there's certainly scope for someone who's got the time and resources to do a lot um, more detailed work on that. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to go based from, uh, it's it's a question that is based on an audience question, but I want to expand a little bit. Um, the audience is asking about GDP, like military expenditures as a percentage of GDP, and if uh, the Chinese have, their expenditures have increased, decreased, or remain basically the same as compared to their GDP. And the question that I want to ask based on that is that, is that a, what type of information can we derive of military expenditures as a percentage of GDP? Should we start with Peter this time? So what was the last part of the question? That what, the, what, what is the percentage of GDP? Yeah, what type of information, what's the use of understanding military expenditures as a percentage of GDP? Oh, see, right. Yeah, what has... Okay, that's actually Lucy's question. But, um, if so, um, look, if you go back to um, Cold War, um, the, um, the Americans uh, military spent a lot of time trying to understand what Russian GDP is, because they had a pretty good idea of what Russia was doing in terms of military. 
but they had no idea about what it was costing them in terms of how much resources they were putting into it. So both sides of the, the numerator and denominator are both important. You've got understanding Russia's strategy at that stage, we can see it in a very large military, but what strain was it putting on the economy? And that turned out to be the really important question, right? So the military spending as a factor of GDP does give you a really good sense of um, the country's um, level of, of almost desperation, if you like, uh, that number starts to get too high. There must be really threatened. There must be some good reasons for it. It's also a classic sign of an arms race. In, um, so um, looking for trends in military spending in fraction of GDP would be an indicator that something's up. Um, and um, just to go back a little bit to the earlier part of your question, so what's been happening in China? One of the interesting things that comes out of this sort of research is you look at the um, the um, growth rate of China's military spending, and because often got, it's been criticised in recent years um, for being double-digit growth in military spending. Um, but uh, of course, China's economy uh, over the last decade or two decades has been growing at double-digit rates as well, and that, so that share of military spending has been fairly constant. And when you break it down, you find a lot of the rising military spending is just paying soldiers, you know, better wages. Um, in fact, that's sort of happening right now. So a lot of the increases in spending they do see is just because um, manufacturing wages are rising. And so in order to um, maintain um, the, um, uh, you know, maintain a competitive position and, and, and be able to hire um, people into the army, it seems they have to keep um, sort of adjusting the um, compensation for, for soldiers and other military personnel. So even though spending is going up, that's because there's economic growth in China. Lucy, any thoughts on the, the GDP question? Yes, um, yes, thank you. I think that that's a question and Peter's already said it all. Um, I'll just sort of yeah, re-emphasize the fact that if that China's military spending as a share of its GDP has remained fairly stable over time. And of course, I mean, one reason for this is that if you look at the two data series to, in, together, Chinese economic growth and Chinese military spending growth, it tends to grow at the same pace. Um, so I think what, what this tells us is so far, um, like not, you know, contrary to, to the, the Soviet example that, that was mentioned, that China hasn't over-prioritized defense in its, in its economy. Um, and I think that's interesting when you compare it to numbers I mentioned earlier that in the US, this, um, the share of GDP uh, for defense is 3.7%, whereas China is around 1.7 in, in our estimates, and Russia is 4.3. So you still see that, actually, if you look at, from the Chinese perspective, they have scope to, to increase even further uh, compared to the US or Russia. And I think it will be interesting to watch the new, actually how it will play out in, in the new uh, the next year's budget, because uh, Chinese growth has been slowing down a little bit, so over the past few years, like five to six percent per year, and so military spending increasing at the same pace. Uh, but now growth, I think, has slid to under five percent uh, this year. So will so we'll see like will they increase their military spending the same way they did the previous years, or will it slow down? And I think this will be a clear indication of like where you know where the government uh, sees this. And uh, I'm going to throw one last question from the audience before we run out of time and become pumpkins. Uh, that I believe that, that Lucy will uh, be very equipped to tackle. Uh, what do we know about provincial or local government spending when it comes to military expenditure? You mentioned the, the, the police and the paramilitary. And 
how do we think about that? What do we know on that area? Um, thank you. We there is data available. Um, so on like the the Chinese statistical um, uh, office website, there is data disaggregated by uh, by province. Uh, so you can so like see how much is spent uh, on the provincial level. Um, but of course, for for our purposes, which is to estimate like China's like national spending, we we tend to aggregate the central and the local government um, data. So we don't really look into that uh, into it that far. Uh, what I can say is that for the parametric aspect, we we need to get that to add up the the central government like parametric budget plus the local um, the local data. Um, but I can't really speak to like how that money is spent. Of course, it's, we only get the so, like aggregate numbers. Thank you. And one of the things that it's really surprising to me on the, the lack of transparency is that you, we don't even get a split between the services, but that, that's a different proposition. Uh, on that note, uh, I would like to thank our panelists for, for sharing their thoughts on how to better understand the Chinese defense budget and thank our audience for, for joining us. I really appreciate uh, if you have any comments from me or the panelists or are pressing questions that we did not address, please contact me using the information listed on the screen. And a fair warning, any flattery will be immediately forwarded to my boss. Uh, and on a last housekeeping note, following this event, you receive a survey that we hope you complete to help us guide future programmings. And to see the events that we have coming up, you can go to heritage.org slash events, which is also on your screen. Once again, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Peter. And have a great day.